0: This is Truth Encounter, and as we celebrate this season together, let's continue our study, Christmas, A Miracle or a Lie, as our study leader Dave Wurtzen exposes the consistent testimony of believers from the time of Christ down through the generations, the historical records witness to the virgin birth. You see, what Christmas is about is that there's this incredible, loving Heavenly Father that's involved in every detail of your life. He's the only one that can ultimately make things right. I believe the same God that makes babies like you, what's the big deal when for thousands of years he promises, I'm going to send my own son? Only this time I'm not going to use a daddy not going to rely upon 300 million sperm with one little ovum. In fact, there's even going to be a great mystery about what I'm due. And the only way I'll describe it to a precious little virgin girl is, is that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And she will conceive, and what will be born in her will be the Holy One of God. That's about as close as we get. We don't argue about chromosomes and all that kind of thing. The Bible doesn't go into the mystery of how God did it. You can ask Jesus. When you're face to face with him. But I want you to know that there was a precious little body. Just like you were formed. There's a precious little body that eventually became the baby of Bethlehem. And it really, really happened. And one of the evidences that it really happened is your own miraculous birth. Where God was intricately involved and made it possible for you to be wondrously born. But I also want to go on and let's talk about now the miracle and the uniqueness of Jesus' birth. And there's two special places. Josh even asked me about it in his class. One of his professors said, well, you know, the virgin birth is only witnessed by Matthew and Luke. So some of you daddies, you need to read the Christmas story and you want to know where to read it. It's in Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. At the end of the genealogy, you have the angel talking to Joseph. Chapter 2 will take you into the actual birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 1 through 4 will give you the birth of John the Baptist from Zechariah and Elizabeth and contrast that with the miraculous birth of Jesus, born of Mary. Okay, so those are the two witnesses. Now, I want you to stick with me. You're going to be told in a university classroom that that the, the virgin birth of Jesus isn't presented anywhere else in the New Testament. So probably it isn't true because it's only presented in Matthew and Luke and the rest of the New Testament acts like it knows nothing about it. Well, I want to first of all say that that sounds really persuasive and you should forget about your naive Sunday morning time with Dave and now you become really intellectual, really sophisticated. Now you know a scholar from Harvard or from Princeton or something that can tell you the inside thing. I want you to remember something before you jettison this wondrous belief in the fact that God invaded this planet. I want you to remember that there's an independent story in Matthew, and a good New Testament critical scholar will tell you. Matthew's story is different from Luke's story. They're not telling the same story. In other words, it correlates, but Matthew tells a story about an angel appearing to the husband, to Joseph, that's engaged to his wife, he's betrothed. It warns him. It talks about him being able to Go ahead and take the woman to be with himself. It's all from his perspective. You'd also think that it all took place in Bethlehem. Okay? The most avant-garde New Testament scholar admits Matthew, and they'll call it the school of Matthew, made up this unique story. Luke is very different. In fact, when you read the Luke account, it's, it's in Nazareth. Mary's up in Nazareth. It's, it's several miles away from Bethlehem. It's up in, in modern-day uh, Galilee. It's not the same as Bethlehem. And Luke's story is very much from Mary's perspective. It tells all the stuff about Mary going to visit her aunt Elizabeth and all the inner taking place between them. So it's a very different story. So here's what you need to summon. They're telling you, how could it be because only two New Testament sources say it's the truth? What you have to understand is, okay, if they made it up, this is what you believe. They just made it up. Matthew... He makes up the story of the virgin birth, but he tells it as if it all takes place in Bethlehem, all from Joseph's perspective. Luke, independent from Matthew, makes up the same fundamental story, this incredible cock and bull, miraculous myth that a virgin girl could have a baby without having a a daddy involved, and tells the story from a totally different perspective, from Mary's perspective and from Nazareth's perspective. In fact, you can get the stories to work together, but you have to work at it. And it's also obvious, if we were in a courtroom, we would say, we got two witnesses that are looking at the same event, but they're telling it from their very unique eyewitness perspective. So if you don't believe in the virgin birth, don't reject it just because it's only told in Matthew and Luke. Remember, you have two very unique, very distinct And yet I believe complementary witnesses that are both telling you an incredible story. And they evidently came up with this story about the virgin birth. And what I would hold, it makes a lot more sense that it happened and that Mary talked to Dr. Luke, the associate of Paul, and, and some of the associates of Mary, and, and knew about the early development, talked to Luke when Paul was in prison in Caesarea, and they interacted with him, and he probably interacted with some of the early Jerusalem believers that knew about this, and he told it from his carefully researched perspective. This is what he tells me in Luke chapter 1. Matthew was from a little bit different area, and so he collected a little bit different testimony, so he tells it from his perspective, but they're both giving me witness that there was this incredible, wondrous conviction way back in the first century that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And and there were men and women like you that believed that it really, really happened. But I I also want you to understand that it's not true that there's nothing else in the New Testament that gives us witness to the virgin birth. In fact, interesting, interesting enough, the idea of Jesus being born in a virgin precipitated a very strong attack against Jesus. In fact, I was raised with a bunch of Jewish kids, and it's not so powerful for you guys, but being raised with a lot of my friends being Jewish, my Jewish friends knew that in Jewish history, one of the strongest attacks against Jesus was that he was illegitimate. Now, why was the charge bought against Jesus that he was an illegitimate son? To be really strong, they called him a bastard. Because it was very deep in the traditions about Jesus and the, and the stories told about Jesus that Joseph somehow wasn't his dad. Dave, how do you know that? Turn in the book of Mark. Mark starts out the story of Jesus with the story of John the Baptist. But it's not true. Turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It's not true that there's no insinuation in the book of Mark. That maybe Jesus' birth wasn't exactly a normal birth. A miraculous, powerful birth like ours, but different than ours. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Jesus is in his hometown. It's the place where they would know about his upbringing and stuff. And they're rejecting Jesus because he's a hometown boy. It often happens. In my own ministry, when I go back home, they don't, they don't like to listen to me too well a lot of times because what could this little boy that grew up in our midst, how could he ever know anything? You'll all face that. It's why as a man, sometimes you have to kind of get away from your the place where you were raised. And in Mark chapter 6, it says this. It says, where did this man, this is Jesus' hometown, Older adults talking, what did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? How does he do these miracles? What they're saying is, what's going on here? This is, this is Jesus. Now notice what they say. Isn't this the carpenter? I love it. Now Matthew says, and it's delicate, because Matthew doesn't quite come out and say, this is the carpenter's son. He uses a Greek phrase. Some of your English translations in Matthew 13, 55 will say that, and that's not exactly what Matthew says. Matthew guards, because Matthew wrote Matthew 1 and 2, they talk about the virgin birth. He knows that Jesus isn't really the physical son of Joseph, so he's very careful. But what I want you to see is that his enemies in Nazareth say, Isn't this the carpenter? That's a slur. They're saying, he's just an ordinary guy. He doesn't have a degree from Dallas Seminary. He doesn't have a degree from Harvard Divinity School. He's not one of the elite rabbis in Jerusalem. He's just an artisan. When all of you guys that are good carpenters and good plumbers and good builders, I want you to be proud today. Your Savior was one of you. So don't you ever think that this Jesus isn't for you, guys. He is for you. Don't let some religionist wear beautiful robes and and not have rough hands and take Jesus away from you. He's yours. He spent many of his years building houses like you, working with stone like you, putting in sewage systems like you. That's how much God loved you. His son became like us. That's what Christmas is about. Isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that unbelievable? When you guys go out today, and if you start framing a house, your Savior's been there, done that. Isn't that incredible? God, that threw the stars in his face, wanted to get so close to you, wanted to be so near to you, he became an artisan. And that's what he did for many years. <laughs> his enemy says, he can't be the Messiah. He's just a stupid carpenter. Notice the second thing they say. Their second slur is, isn't this Mary's son? Aren't his brothers? Isn't he the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Notice they say, isn't this Mary's son? Now, scholars will say that that's a very normal Jewish way, and they'll refer back to other scriptures that refer to a Jewish man referred to by a Jewish mama. I went through last night, in the midst of everything, and looked at every single one of those references, like Judges chapter 11 talks about Jephthah, it's one of the instances where Jephthah is said to be the son of his mama, but it's not the normal way to refer because Jephthah is slurringly and in a degradatory way, in a negative way, is said to be the son of a whore. wasn't the normal way. That's why, and, it, and the next verse says that his brothers threw him out of there because he was a you know what he was illegitimate. So it wasn't the usual way. You can go through. Like Paul will say, Timothy was the son of his mama. And he was the son of a Gentile. The reason the mother's put first is because she's the believer. And his daddy is not a believer. So it's, he's, the reason there's, there's a reference to the mom is because this mom is a believer. It's not the usual way. And the very fact that Paul emphasizes that, that Timothy is born of his mama and not his daddy, as he's calling attention, Timothy was still a child of God and a great man of God, even though his daddy didn't know Jesus. You see what I'm saying? It's not the usual way you refer to a child. I believe in Mark that his enemies are slurring him. And they're giving us a little insight that in Nazareth, where Jesus was raised, the stories were all over the town, just like they'd be all over Midlothian, because Nazareth was even smaller than Midlothian. And what they're saying is, you know, where did you get this wisdom? You're an you're an illegitimate child. You're a bastard. You're the son of Mary. That charge is brought out very explicitly. Turn to John chapter eight, verse forty-one. John chapter eight, verse forty-one. Jesus is in a debate about who the father of the Jewish leaders is and who his own father is. In John chapter 8, verse 41, this conflict. And I want you to know that when you're reading the book of John, often when you read Jews, it doesn't mean the Jewish people. You've got to remember Jesus was Jewish. It means the Jewish leaders. I mention that because a lot of your Jewish friends will read John being anti-Semitic when it's, when it's wrong. That's wrong to approach it like that because John uses the word the Jews to refer very specifically to the leadership, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin in in Jerusalem that are investigating Jesus, that are turning away from him. And they carry on an argument against Jesus throughout the whole book. In verse 41 of John chapter 8, this kind of comes to fruition. John 8 verse 41. Let me read to you what it says there. Listen, look at it carefully. It says, and I'll pick it up with verse 39 Abraham is our father, they answered. The the Jewish leaders answered Abraham is our father. You can feel their religious pride. Abraham is our father. Jesus responds If you were Abraham's kids, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things of Abraham. If you're someone's son, you act like your daddy. As it is, you have determined to kill me. Already the Jewish hierarchy in Jerusalem was conducting a plot to try to murder Jesus. And Jesus knows it. So he says, you are not Abraham's kids because Abraham would never have concocted a plot to kill me. That's the argument. Very real that's going on here. It says, a man who has told you the truth that he heard from God. Abraham would not do, did not do such things you are doing the things of your own father. And later on I did it say, your father's the evil one himself because he's the author of murder. Now notice how they respond and in this intends to be. He says, we're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. In essence, what they say to him is, we are not illegitimate kids, implying that Jesus is what? Jesus is a illegitimate kid. I want you to know that in the polemic, one of the big arguments between Christianity and Judaism down to the centuries has been the attack that Jesus was not born of a virgin, he was born illegitimately. Right in our own day, Bishop spung I like to call him Bishop Sponge, and if you know anything about him, he says that, that Mary had an affair, she had an illegitimate child, and Jesus was born like any other natural child. So he accepts, even as a bishop, he accepts that argument. And that goes right back in the first century. Another New Testament scholar that's kind of on the fringe has suggested that when Mary went to visit her aunt Elizabeth and stayed several months at Zechariah, and kind of have a, a weird holy alliance impregnated Mary. Boy, that's a weird story. And I want you to see that that's where you start to go. Now, why are scholars doing that? Because the witness says that as you face Jesus, something is very unique about the birth of this baby. There's one group of people that are saying it's a miracle in the sense that the kingdom of God, not a miracle in the sense that God did something that he never does, that he got involved in human things, but God... Did a heavenly thing. He fulfilled the promises. We capture a glimpse of his heart when he created this little baby in the womb of the precious Virgin Mary. On the other side, they're saying we know Joseph's not his daddy, so he's illegitimate. And you got to decide on which line you're going to be present. I want you to know that we're not just talking about Dickens' fairy tales and the Christmas Carol. We're not talking about Santa Claus stories. This is real literature. There's been thousands upon millions of people that beginning now in the 21st century, marching right back to the first century, that believe this really happened. There's also many other people that said no it didn't and you have to decide. Contrary to what you might learn in a college classroom, that early first century idea that Jesus was illegitimate gives an indirect witness in an incredibly powerful way that Judas' birth was not the same as ours, and there was a uniqueness about it, that he didn't have a normal earthly dad. And then you have to decide whether he was illegitimate or whether he was miraculously and marvelously and purely the Son of God. Does it make a difference? Yeah, it makes a big difference. Look at Matthew quickly Do we close. In Matthew, first of all, Jesus tells Joseph, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 1 as we close. At the end of the genealogy, it says this, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. This is verse uh, 18. But before they came together, notice how Matthew stresses, before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to a public shame. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, notice this dress, he's a a son of David. Legally, through Joseph, Jesus will be a son of David. That's very important. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that gave birth to Jesus is the Holy Spirit that we prayed would bring healing. He's the Holy Spirit that lives in your life. I want you to see yourself connected with all this, okay? I want you to realize that the Holy Spirit's come to live in your life. Just like he powerfully worked in the Virgin Mary's life, he'll powerfully work in your life. That's the message of the New Testament, okay? So the Holy Spirit is the one that's responsible for this. Now, notice what it says in verse 21. She will give birth to a son. We, we asked uh, Matt. In his exam, what's the significance of the virgin birth? And this is one of those things that often men don't think about. And I want you to think about it. And your answer needs to be, this, here's one of the big answers. Number one, it proves that the Holy Spirit is powerfully active and that we don't have this divide between the spiritual and the physical. Second of all, and this is the most important thing, the virgin birth is important because she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins see Dave what's important about that Jesus needs to be human like us he needs to be one with us he needs to be a carpenter like us he needs to face the temptations that are us he needs to be human because if he's not human he can't die on the cross of Calvary if he's just a phantom, if he's just some weird ghost that had just the semblance of a physical form, which, by the way, was one of the eras that people believed about Jesus in the second century, if that's true, then he can't save you from his sins. Jesus had to be fully a human being, so he received a human nature from Mary, his mom. He was like you, born just like you. But he also had to be divine. Because he has to bear the sins of the entire world. He has to be sinless. He has to be tempted, yet without sin. He has to be able to go into the grave. And you don't need someone dying right now. But I got news for you. If you don't think death is a bad enemy, you go look at Dad this afternoon. He's down less than 100 pounds, probably. A man that I've lifted weights with, I've ridden horses with. One of the most vital men I've ever seen. His body is just going to be gone death is a, is a terrible curse and you know what Dave Wurtzen dying I, it hit me when I was riding my bike you know, we've been living the last several weeks I mean for the last several weeks any minute dad could die and it hit me when I was riding my bike and, you know, I said this is weird Lord we're just totally living dad could die at any minute and the Lord said so could you and I'm not saying that to scare you I said that's the truth guys and girls that's the truth Dad's not really a lot different than us. He's probably closer. But you know, objectively, I could be gone before him. And that's scary. And you know what? No scientist, no PhD can help you. But this precious little baby that was born in Mary's womb, he will be named Jesus because he will save you from your sins. Amen. I am so thankful. It says to Mary... It says, you will call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, because the child born in you will be the Holy One of Israel, and he will be the ruler of the nations. We worship Jesus because he's going to save us from our sins. We worship Jesus because eventually he's going to be the great king that comes, and he's my hope for the world. Are you discouraged about Iraq? Are you discouraged about the world situation? Are you discouraged about where history is going? I'm not. It's a mess. The United Nations will never solve it. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard. It doesn't mean we don't try to generate peace. But I am so thankful my final trust is in an unconquerable Savior. And I worship him as my king. Mary closes. The angels look at her. And, and it's like Mary raises her hand and says, let it be done according to your will. And that's what you read in the book of Luke. The Luke story with the annunciation of Mary ends with Mary saying, let it be. What Christmas is about for me, it says, David, do you really believe that in history, Jesus was born in the Virgin Mary's womb? And I answer that as your pastor, teacher, I believe with all my heart. The reason that precious Savior was born is he's the unique God-man blended together into one united personality. He is God in the flesh, and that's why he can save me from my greatest enemies. Is that important? Yeah. Yeah. I want you to realize we are living this like you are. I want you to know that there's, not a, there's no other savior. Last night as a husband, I sat at the end of the bed and Mary's up there with her dad. Her dad's in a coma. And she's saying, dear daddy, thank you for teaching me about Jesus. Thank you for teaching me that it really happened. Thank you for teaching me that he was born of a virgin. Thank you for teaching me you did the, that he did the miracles. Thank you for teaching me he, he stretched his arms on Calvary for me. Thank you that he rose again. You taught me from the time I was a little girl. He rose again from the dead. And she leaned over him and says, Daddy, go ahead and go home. It's okay. Let Jesus take you home. And brothers and sisters, that's my real life. That's where I'm really living today. And you show me another Savior that a daughter can lean over her daddy and say, in the face of the greatest enemy of death, and say, Daddy, our Savior's strong and he can win. And I know exactly where you're going. And I can watch families saying, Dad, you're going to see your brother, Warren. You're going to see your son, David. Go ahead and go and see them. You tell me another savior that can give that kind of confidence and that kind of conviction in the face of death. And I want you to know, Charles Dickens might tell a great story. But Charles Dickens is an impotent weakling By that bedside. And Santa Claus might motivate you to buy a lot of presents, but Santa Claus takes off his red coat and just joins us in impotence at that bedside. But my Savior, Jesus, who wondrously gave you birth, also wondrously became a man himself. And he did do all the things he said he did. And I trust that this Christmas season, I trust with all my heart, that you've opened your heart, you believe that. I hope you trust in that. I hope it's the heartbeat of this whole Christmas season for you. And I trust that you're going to go leave this auditorium today and you're going to go out and you're going to live that in the marketplace and you're going to declare that you love God, that he's involved in every detail of your life. I pray that you'll make the, the facts about what Jesus has done and I hope you'll understand that our commitment to the virgin birth of Jesus, that we join thousands upon thousands of believers down through the centuries. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He rose again the third day. And from thence he shall come. He ascended into heaven, and from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And I join, and that's still my faith today, and I want you to know that in a very weird time, a tough time in our life, it's true.